Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God which engages us this day is the gospel lesson, but especially the final verse of John chapter 2. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Thus far the text. Dear friends in Christ, of those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, there are some who go so far as to even deny the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. They refer to him as just a figment of the church's imagination, just a fictional person like Huck Finn or Tom Sawyer. Others will acknowledge the existence of Jesus of Nazareth and perhaps even believe some of what the Bible says about him. But for them, Jesus is just an inspirational figure, just a great example of love or a great moral example or a great advocate for the poor and the hungry or just a great teacher. Now, to be sure, Jesus is all of these things. But if that's all he is, then we are in serious trouble. If that's all that he is, then we are dead in our trespasses and sins. If that's all that he is, then we have no hope. And we might as well turn off the lights, lock the doors, and go home. But fortunately for us, in our gospel lesson for today, Jesus does the first of his signs, John's favorite way of referring to the miracles of Jesus. And after this first sign or miracle, Jesus will go on to do many more signs or miracles, manifesting or making known his glory, glory not belonging to a mere man, but glory belonging to God. John would summarize this fact many years later. In John 1, verse 14, when he would write, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus performs this first sign, this first miracle, in a very ordinary public event, a wedding reception in Cana of Galilee. And to set the context for you, Jesus has already been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, beginning his three-year earthly ministry. He has already been successful at the hands of Satan, tempting him for 40 days in the wilderness. And he has just begun to call his disciples. And now he comes to a small town, Cana, a town in north-central Galilee, not far from his hometown of Nazareth. And other than the fact that Mary and Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding reception, we really don't know much more about it. Was it a small wedding or a large wedding? What was the connection between Jesus 
and the couple, or perhaps the extended family, we just don't know. What we do know, however, is that the supply of wine ran out. Now in Jesus' day, wedding receptions could last as long as seven days. Obviously, there would be a lot of wine consumed over this extended time. And not only would, of course, this be an embarrassment to the wedding couple and to the family, just as it would be today, but there was another factor involved here. You see, wedding receptions at that time were seen as social contracts between the host and the guests. These hosts would have attended other social gatherings such as this and would have enjoyed ample amounts of food and beverage. And so tight was that social contract that something like running out of wine at a wedding reception could result in the hosts facing legal action brought to them by the guests, as hard as that and strange as that might seem for us today. So there was more than just embarrassment for the hosts involved. Mary comes to Jesus and makes a very matter-of-fact statement. They have no wine. Now, was she making this statement merely to inform him of the situation? Or was she making this statement with the hope and perhaps even the expectation that Jesus would do something to change that situation, perhaps to provide wine in some way? The response that Jesus gives tells us that he took her statement to mean that she was hoping, she was maybe even expecting, that he would intervene. And his response to Mary, admittedly, sounds a bit harsh to our ears. Woman, what has this to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It really is not that harsh of a response as it sounds in English. That word woman is the same term that Jesus used from the cross when he was commissioning John to take care of Mary for the rest of her years, saying to Mary, woman, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. Jesus referring to Mary as woman rather than mother was a rather firm but polite way to inform her that now their relationship, especially after he began his three-year earthly ministry, would be different. He was first and foremost the Son of God, and secondly, her son. And from here forward, things would be done not on Mary's timetable, but on God's timetable, and thus on the timetable of Jesus. Jesus goes ahead then and actually provides the wine. He does so in a very non-dramatic way. He calls the servants forward, has them fill six different water jars, stone water jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, and then to take some of that liquid and give it to the master of the feast. And the master of the feast confirms that not only is it now wine, but it is the good wine, as he refers to it. And John summarizes all that had happened, saying that this, the first of his signs, 
Jesus did in Cana at Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. After this first sign, this first miracle, Jesus would go on to do many more signs, many more miracles. He would heal people of their diseases. He would cast out demons. He would even bring three people that we know of from death to life once again. He would feed 5,000 men, and who knows how many women and children with just five loaves of bread and two fish. He would calm a violent storm on the Sea of Galilee by simply issuing the command, be still. And while all of these signs, all of these miracles certainly helped the people who were on the receiving end of them and certainly took, <clears throat> took care of situations, these miracles, these signs had a much higher purpose. Their main purpose was to point to Jesus as not just a mere man, but as the very Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior who had come into the world. John, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, cites these as the very purpose that he wrote his gospel, saying there, Jesus did many other signs which are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and believing you may have life in his name. And of course, nowhere is the glory of Jesus more manifest, more made known than on the cross, where there the very Son of God would bow his head and die for us so that we might have life, abundant and eternal life. What looked to the world like weakness was actually the strength of God crushing the head of Satan. And what looked to the world like defeat was actually Christ triumphing over sin, death, and the grave. During the season of Epiphany, a word that means to make known or to make manifest. God, week after week after week in our scripture readings, is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is not only 100% man, but is also 100% God. Two weeks ago, as we celebrated the Epiphany, we saw the coming of the Magi from the East, guided by a special star that God utilized to bring them to Jesus. We saw them bow down and worship at the feet of Jesus, worshiping this child, they said, who had been born the king of the Jews. And then last week, we saw at the baptism of Jesus, the heavens open wide and the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. And we heard the voice of the Father say, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And today, we with the disciples see Jesus change water into wine, manifesting his glory for them and for us. And like those disciples, we also believe in him. We believe and trust in him as our Savior, 
from sin, death, and the devil. And because of that, we will be at another wedding reception with Jesus yet to come. The never-ending reception, the never-ending feast of Jesus the Lamb and his church. That reception will commence on the day when the bridegroom, Jesus, comes to summon his bride, the church, to a never-ending feast where we will not have to worry about wine running out or any other such thing. Listen to the way John, in, in Revelation chapter 19, describes our reaction on that day. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are we because we are invited to the never-ending supper of the Lamb, both here in time and in eternity. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in this one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. <laughs>